Good morning or good afternoon. It's that time when I don't know if it's morning or afternoon, but I uh, hope you, do, you are doing well. Um, as Roman uh, mentioned, we are starting our uh, series on real conversations. And, you know, after the first and uh, second, um, more first and the second, I, I realized uh, something about um, this topic that we're going to talk about is that this 30 minutes or 45 minutes, including the, the testimony, um, is not enough time. Um, you know, I, I, and when I said that, in sec- I said that same thing in second service, but I think um, I, I was maybe referring to not enough time to talk about the topic of divorce in, in a, theological, um, a theological way where we break down, the, you know, the words and what did he mean by sexual immorality, what, you know, adultery, and like that, and I was kind of referring to that a little bit, but I think uh, after the second service, I, I had a chance to talk with a few people, and... Um, I, I, I don't think we do have time uh, to talk about the, the theological and the doctrine, but I think more so, I don't think I have time to talk about the, the pain uh, and the emotions that come along with talking about this topic, that even just the mention of the word divorce is something that uh, you're not comfortable with because it might bring up certain emotions. It might bring something maybe not even personally, but maybe your friend, what your friend is going through. And... Uh, it's, and I realized that it's just not enough time um, to, to heal the wounds, um, you know. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to not let uh, this time be done after, you know, we're done with our service. And that's, that's it. We're done with talking about divorce. We all know what it is. We all know how to handle it. That's far from the truth. Uh, I want to encourage you to, to talk uh, uh, to people. Um, maybe it's a pastoral staff. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you need more counseling. Maybe you just need to talk about it a little bit more. So I really want to encourage you to do that uh, because it will take time for these emotions to, um, you know, to calm itself, to, to even focus on, on Christ on, on these topics. So I want you to um, um, be reminded of that as we end here because the topic of divorce, um, it, it's, it's really messy. That's the only word that I can think of. Um, not only discussing the, 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 implication, the theological implications, but just the practical implications. It's just very messy. The application itself sometimes gets a little fuzzy. Uh, not sure exactly what to do in every situation. And I'm not here standing here to, to tell you that I can empathize, uh, that I can understand what you're going through if you're going through this. I, I, I really can't. I can speak to what God says, because I believe that Scripture has something to say about this, that Jesus has an opinion, and his opinion matters, especially to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are saved and redeemed by him. He has uh, a word for us today. But the emotional impact, uh, those things, um, I want to encourage you to go ahead and talk, because they're not uh, very, very easy to answer, or even just to even um, figure out what to do. So, and I know that there's a vast... Uh, difference in, in, in terms of the audience or the group here that's here. Um, you know, we have some young catapult kids. We have people who are married. Um, uh, so I want to uh, see if I can address um, uh, this topic of divorce uh, in, in three different ways. And I'm not sure if I can, but I'm going to try my best. But it's more of a, one is pre, um, preventative, that if you are single or if you're married, that, uh, that this topic of divorce or this concept of divorce may never even enter your mind that we can prevent it from ever happening. Uh, for those who may be even going through it now, 
that it could be uh, redemptive, um, that you are not lost, uh, that there is hope, uh, and then also restorative, that you know, the gospel uh, main objective is reconciliation. That's what God wants to do with us. And so I hope to speak to uh, all those three um, uh, groups of people because, I, like I said, I do believe that Jesus has um, something to say about it. And, and one place is Matthew chapter 19, verses nine, 1 through 9. So if we can turn our Bibles or apps to uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to go actually to uh, verse 3. Uh, we're going to skip 19. It's just a setting. Verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him, this is Jesus, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, an opportunity to see what you have to say on this, on this tough topic, Lord. I pray that you would uh, soften our hearts so that we would submit to your word, that we would submit to your love for us, Lord, and what is best for us. And I pray that we would honor your name through, um, through our marriages and that we would glorify your name by just lifting you up, up above all things, Lord, even our pains and our hurts. Uh, so we thank you, Lord, and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, before we go into uh, Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 9, I do want to say something about the state of marriage and divorce uh, now. I'm not going to go through all the stats. Um, you know, George Barna, uh, his research group, they, have, they you know, do surveys, they take data, and they put it all together, and he has all these numbers. But, and at after he has all these numbers, he kind of summarizes uh, his conclusion. And this is what he said after gathering all the data from, um, sorry, I'm trying to get it. All right. Um, trying to get all the data, um, and this is what he said. Apologize, I'm trying to find where he said it. Um, he basically said this. He said, oh, there you go. He said, marriage has shifted from being the cornerstone to the capstone of adult life. Um, just think about that. He said, marriage now comes only after they have moved toward financial and psychological independence. Um, he said before, marriage was the, the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that the foundation where you build everything up. He said before, people thought that marriage was where you start to build your life. But he's saying now, the way that people view marriage is that after you build your life, you put a capstone on the very top to kind of complete your life. So rather than now being a cornerstone, it becomes just an added bonus, the icing on the cake to the life that you have. And his conclusion is that marriage, the view of marriage has diminished. What God has said from the beginning of what marriage is supposed to be, now we think marriage is just something that we add to our life. 
not the foundation. So when we diminish marriage in this way, that's when divorce can easily come into our culture and our world, and it becomes normal. For he says that now divorce is normalized in our culture. And he said about 33% of non-believers, and, you, and the numbers are a little flexible, a little high depending on the data, it go a little lower. He said about 33 people of non-believers who don't confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord, uh, at least they would get divorced once in their life. But what's more shocking in his research was this. So he took a survey of believers, born-again believers, who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Well, he said the numbers were pretty much the same. About 32% of born-again believers have been divorced at least once in their life. So what this says is that it's not only normalized in our culture, but it is normalized in our Christian life. We think that marriage as believers is and divorce is just part of the life process. It is not something that should be shunned. It's not something that should be put as an option. But it is, yeah, let's have divorce as part of our marriage so that if things don't work out, let's get divorced. And it's not something that is, quote, necessarily wrong. And so that should alarm you because that's not the opinion of Jesus or God. Jesus has something else to say about a marriage and divorce. And this uh, passage, Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 9, is one of those passages where where these Pharisees come to him to test him. See, at that point, there were two uh, uh, opposing views uh, in in the Jewish life, two rabbis, Shemuel and Hill. There were two rabbis who looked at divorce in a different way. One section of um, the Jewish people said that you can divorce only if there is some uh, great moral indecency. And whatever that means in, in the world, that's what it was, but it was limited, very limited. Another part of the, uh, the teachings of Rabbi Hill it said that basically you can get divorced for any reason, pretty much. And they give examples. They said if you, if as a husband you come home after work and you come in and the food is burnt and on that table, that's good enough reason for you to get divorced. Or if you come home if you're coming to, uh, home and you're walking down the street and you see a woman that looks a lot better than the woman that you have at home and the wife that you have home, right there is cause enough to divorce uh, your wife. So there was one that was really lax and there was one that was strict. But both of them believed that it was still a, a, an option, it, that we can get divorced. And Jesus answers them and answers this question because they, what they wanted to do was if, they, if he picked the, 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 the stricter one, then he would get in trouble with Herod. Remember Herod uh, with John the Baptist? He, he complained about uh, Herod's you know, divorce and remarriage and all that stuff, and he got beheaded. Or if he chose a lax one, he would get in trouble with a lot of the conservatives, Jewish people um, there. So they wanted to put him in one camp so that he would get in trouble no matter what. And, and Jesus, uh, always being wise, um, says, I am neither of those. <laughs> so he goes in verse four, he says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So these Pharisees are coming to him and asking him, what do you think about divorce? Well, give me, what's the reason? What, when can I get divorced? What's the situation when I, and Jesus says, wait, hold on. 
let's talk about marriage. See, their first thought was divorce. Jesus' first thought was, if you understand marriage, then you'll realize that divorce cannot be an option. If you understand the original plan of God and his view of marriage, then you will understand what reasons you have, which are none, to be, to, to be basically honest, that you should divorce. So let's go uh, to what Jesus says. And there are, I think, four things come out of this, this passage because he's quoting from Genesis 2 in, in Paradise. The first thing is that God created marriage, the concept of marriage. It wasn't a, a reaction to the fall. This was before. Remember, this was before the fall. God instituted marriage. It was his plan. It was his idea. And also, as you read what Jesus says, it's supposed to be permanent. You know, so when they're uh, in whatever, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God is the one that was bringing them together and no man should separate it. It is a permanent institution. The person that you get married to is the one that you should live all your life with. It was a permanent institution. Also, it says, two shall become one flesh. There was an intimacy between a husband and wife that's unlike any other relationship that we can possibly have besides Christ. More than a, husband, uh, a father and a son or a mother and, and a daughter, more than friends, more than a pastor and a congregate, it is the husband and wife, and that's what God chose to say, this is one flesh. There's no other intimacy that you can have with any other person except for your husband or your wife. There's three things. There's one more. And one more is that marriage is a covenant. So marriage is God's idea. It's his plan. It was, it was to be a permanent institution. It is to be a most intimate one. And it is supposed to be a covenant. Not just an agreement, but a covenant. And what does that mean? Because when we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and the way that Paul describes marriage, and he's talking about marriage and a husband, you know, sacrificing wives, loving their husband, and to very, towards the very end, he says this is the, the, the mystery. But the great mystery is that marriage points to the covenant that God has with us. So he's saying, of all the relationships that you can possibly have, friends, father, son, co-works, all the relations that you can possibly have, God chose this specific one to mirror God's relationship with his church. And it, that's very, very key to what marriage is all about. Just think about it. Just think about the implications of that because if you bring divorce into the picture, into this, this, this image that God has created, this, this institution that God has created, and you bring divorce into the picture, that divorce contradicts every one of these four points. Divorce says, no, it is not God's idea that we got married. It was mine. I fell in love with my spouse. I'm the one that stood. I'm the one that sacrificed. So if I want to end it, I'm going to end it. I'm going to dictate what happens in marriage. I'm going to set the guidelines. Or it, and, you know, when I want to end it, marriage is supposed to be permanent. Whenever I want to end it, I'm going to end it. 
and I'm going to be the one that chooses what reason it is. You know, there, there is a, uh, a funny story by uh, uh, Jay Adams. He's a pastor, or was a pastor and a theologian and a counselor, a marriage counselor. And he tells a story um, of, of meeting in a, in a marriage counseling session uh, in his office. And he was talking with this couple who was obviously having a marriage strife. And, um, you know, they start off saying, yeah, you know, I don't really like, you know, I don't, I don't love my you know, husband anymore. Uh, the, the flame has died out and, you know, and the wife is... Husband and wife, they're saying the same thing. And, and he goes in, in this comical way, and you have to kind of, uh, he tells it a lot better. <laughs> but in a comical way, he says, well, you know, do you still live in the same house? And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, but I just don't love him. And I know that he doesn't love me. Okay, but yeah, we still live in the same house. So what do you think? Do you consider yourself, you know, maybe even closer than neighbors? Because yeah, yeah, you can say that. I mean, we live in the same house. Then he goes, oh, great. Because the Bible says, love your neighbors. Okay. Then they, go, then they go on and goes, yeah, but I really, you know, don't love him. But, you know, even more than that, you know, he bugs me. He does the, these things. She does these things. And, you know, at the, at the end, they goes, you know what? I really hate him. I really hate him. And, you know, the husband's like, oh, green. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And I hate her too. And he's like, you know, I, she like, you know, is like almost like my enemy, the worst, my worst enemy. And then James, oh, great, good. Because the Bible says, love your enemies. So his point was that it is not up to your emotions that you want to separate, but God commands it. God has brought you two together. You know, it's not 50-50 equals 100. You know, this two becoming one flesh, that's another thing that divorce contradicts. I had had a a session with a a couple doing premarital counseling, and I had to rebuke them a little bit because... They said they've already talked. Before they came to me, they said they talked. Yeah, you know, we worked it out. You know, we're going to compromise a lot. We're going to do, like, I'm going to do 50% of this, and she's going to do 50% of this. I'm going to do 40% of this, and I'm going to be 30% of this. And he goes, yeah, so it's going to all work out. We're going to be 100%. I said, that's not what marriage is all about. It's all about the husband giving 100% to his wife, even if his wife gives 0%. It's about the wife giving 100% to her husband, even though he doesn't give 100%. That is what you're committing to. It's not 50 plus 50 and you get 100. It's you get 100 plus 100 and you, get, you become 100. Two become one. And I know for me, as a math teacher, I do teach math, it's <laughs> difficult concept, <laughs> but God still says that's true, okay? Because a lot of people have one, you know, they, they come in and I'm still, no, when you come, you become one flesh. And what divorce does is cuts that one flesh. It doesn't cut two people. It cuts one person and causes death. Just think about it. And lastly, divorce, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but divorce contradicts the covenant that we have uh, with God. And like I said, that the picture that we have of, of marriage, what God says, you know, husband, husband and wife, that's a picture of God loving the church or Christ loving the church. And when you bring divorce into the picture, then are you saying that that's a picture that we should see of the Christ and church? So can Christ just say, no more, I'm done with you? Uh, I'm not going to love you anymore because you've done this? That's a picture that the world sees. And so when you really think about these these 
the concept, what Jesus has and says, this is what marriage is supposed to be. And then you bring divorce into the picture, it contradicts every single thing of Jesus' idea of what marriage is all about. You know, but does he also have something to say about just divorce, not only marriage? And I, I believe God does. Uh, and you know what? I, I want to be a little sensitive here, and I think, I don't know if I was in the second service, um, because, you know, I mentioned that, that I hate divorce as a concept. I do. Uh, and I believe that, in one sense, God does too. Um, I know that Malachi 2.6, um, you know, these are, there's some controversy about how to, in, how to translate that verse. Some translations... Um, translated as, for a man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, New American Standard Version, uh, uh, New Living Translation says something like this, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. It's the same verse, but it looks like they're saying completely opposite things. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the debate of what this or that is, but, but it's clear that there's a dislike or even a hate that God has for divorce, the constant divorce. And, and God hates divorce because divorce always is a result of sin. Okay? It is. Remember, marriage was instituted in paradise, in perfection. Divorce could never happen in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. But remember what, Moses, what, what Jesus said about why Moses gave permission. It is because they had hardened hearts. So God allowed this, this permission to divorce. And so God hates um, because it's a, always a result of uh, sin. But I believe God also hates it because God hates the consequences of divorce. In Malachi 2.16, there's no controversy about this particular part of the verse where it says he covers his garments with violence. After he talks about divorce, he says, man covers his garments with violence. There's a violence to it. You know, there, there's a violence that, where it leaves a trail of just destruction. And that's what divorce does. It tears families apart. It makes people feel isolated. It, it makes people feel ashamed, not loved. And it's a powerful thing, that divorce, what divorce does. So, and God hates that. But I also want to be careful here um, because I don't want to say that God hates people who are divorced. And I hope that you don't get that from me uh, up here. That it's not that God hates the divorced person, whether he did it biblically or unbiblically. Okay? But God hates the concept of, because of, of he, he loves us so much. His believer, he loves us so much that he would give his only son. And he hates what happens to people when, when divorce happens. And so I just want to be careful about that because, you know, the, the, the solution to all of this is, is the gospel. Because God hates divorce because, remember, we talked about the reflection of, of the, the picture of God's love for the church. And what divorce says to the world and to us is that God can stop loving us. That God could end the covenant with us. And he hates the fact that that's what's portrayed in marriage. And the world thinks that God could, is, God's love is, is just temporal. But it's not. The gospel does not tell us that it is. So, what, what is, so should I end the sermon here? No, of course not. There's, there's more to it. 
there's, there's more to it because God, because of our sinfulness and the sinful world, God does give permission, not a command. The Pharisee said that Moses commanded, and Jesus, no, that's not what, exactly what he said. It says Moses, Moses gave permission. And, and I want to be clear about this uh, because here's where it gets a little messy. It said, I believe that Bible is, is clear that there are only two reasons why one should get divorced as a believer. And he says it in Matthew um, 19 in this verse at the very last in verse 9. And he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And I believe that sexual immorality is adultery. So if you are married and your spouse commits adultery, has an extramarital um, error, that that is a permission to divorce, not desirable. Remember, God is not saying, okay, if that thing happens, automatically you divorce. God's not saying that. God is all about reconciliation, restoration, redemption. God wants things to be restored. But if they cannot be, then that's one reason when one could divorce. Another is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse 14. It says, For the unbelieving husband is uh, made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. So this is talking about a, a, a marriage where one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. So verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So it says, if the unbeliever in that marriage says, I don't want to have anything to do with you, you know, I want to separate from you. I don't care about you. If this unbeliever says that to a believing husband, a husband or wife, then he, uh, Paul says, let it be so. So we have one between believers, and the way that divorce can happen is adultery. We have one where it's a, a believer and a non-believer. If the unbeliever says, because it says earlier that if, if you're, uh, if you're you know, married to an unbeliever, stay married. Reflect uh, Christ's love in that marriage. But if the unbeliever says, I don't want to have anything to do with you, I want to separate, leave my house, and you cannot reconcile, then you are allowed to uh, divorce. Once again, God does not desire that, but yet uh, he gives permission to that. I think, are they the only two? What if I just stop falling in love? I don't love my wife anymore or my husband anymore. Do I just stay in a, a loveless marriage? No, you don't stay in a loveless marriage. You make it a, a, love, a lovable marriage. Lovable marriage, I don't know if that's the right word, where husband and wife are loving one another. There's an answer. The answer is not divorce. The answer is start loving one another. What if it's uh, neglect? Uh, somebody, uh, emotional neglect, uh, physical. How about if it's that? Is that something that's permissible? Can I get a divorce? The Bible says, no, it's not there. If it's neglect, then there's another way of handling that, whether how severe it is. What about physical abuse or emotional abuse? Should you stay in that marriage? And this is the hard one. The Bible still doesn't say, yeah, when that happens, go ahead, get divorced. The Bible's answer to that is not divorce. The Bible answer for me is to get out of there. It would be wrong for a pastor or any man to say, if you're in an abusive home, to stay in there and try to work it out. No, get away from that situation as far as possible. 
But the Bible doesn't say, just because of that, just divorce. It's, it's just not there. Although it's hard for us to swallow, it's just not there. The Bible takes those things seriously, but the Bible doesn't say that's the reason for divorce. It's because what divorce represents. Divorce represents this union of male and female into one flesh. And adultery is the one that really breaks it. Believer and non-believer, that breaks it too. There are answers. There are things that we can talk about in terms of uh, neglect, abuse, not in love anymore. And we can talk about it in a pastoral counseling setting or just in conversation. But the answer simply can't be, I'm just going to get a divorce. It cannot be the answer. Because why? Because that's not the Bible's answer to those type of problems. Like I said, I know it's difficult to swallow that, but if we are trusting in God's word, that's what God's word says. But, it, but you know, and if I end it here like this, once again, uh, my second ending here, I don't think I've given you any hope in marriage and divorce because if we say that 33% of people get divorced, oh, what a bleak, you know, um, look at my future if you're single. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to marriage and all I see is marriage and divorce and all this thing. You know, where's the hope in that? How about if you're married right now and, and you're struggling and you're fighting all the time and you're telling me that I can't get a divorce? Where's the hope in that? What if my, my, um, my spouse cheated against, you know, and should I get a divorce right away? And, and if I do, you know, am I going to be isolated? Am I going to be shunned by the Christian community? Is there any hope? Does Christ still love me? Because you said God hates divorce. Does he love me anymore? Am I redeemable? How about if you were the one that was the one that offended, that committed adultery and you were divorced? Is there any hope for that person? Yes. It's not an unforgivable sin. There is hope, and that hope is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the gospel principle says this, is that we are more sinful and flawed than we could ever dare to hope. That we are flawed. That's why divorce happens. Because we are sinful and we are flawed beyond what we can possibly imagine. But yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted by Jesus Christ more than we could ever dare hope at the same time. Even though divorce, the divorce is painful. Even though it seems like there are no answers or what, what do I do, hopeless. The gospel says, even in that situation, you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. And I think that's the, the, the gospel itself, and that's the hope that we can find. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're dealing with the divorce uh, uh, right now, or if you have been divorced, the hope is in Jesus Christ, who will never forsake you, never forsake being your husband, who will sacrifice and love you with an unconditional love wherever you are. Yes, sometimes you need to repent. 
Sometimes you need to change course. Sometimes you need to think, yeah, God loves me, but the husband that I'm fighting with, God loves him too. Uh, sometimes even in your mind says, you know what, there's no way that I can reconcile. It's too hard. Look to Christ and what we've done to him and the way he's reconciled with us. The hope is the gospel. So I do not want, you know, as you leave this room, I do not want anyone to leave this room without any hope. You can leave with pain. We can you know, leave with you know, uncertainty. But never, don't ever leave this room without hope because Christ is at hope. But what else, you know, individually we have to struggle with this, but what, what else can we do as a church? I think there's a couple of things that we do as a church. That as a church, we, we come together and we comfort one another. We don't, we don't shun them. We don't isolate them. That's the, that's the person who got divorced. That's the person that we don't want to hang out with. You know, that's so contrary to what, what Christ, who Christ is. We need to walk with them. We need to share with them. We need to pray for them. And we need to give them hope. We also need to, but I, I, but I don't want to make it sound like we're all just, that's all we do. No, we need to confront them with the truth. If they're considering divorce for unbiblical reasons, you've got to let them know in love, of course in love. You've got to walk through their marital strife. You need to comfort them, you, but you also need to confront them. But I also think that we need to share um, experiences with them. And that's what we want to do with this uh, Real Conversation series, is that uh, we don't want just the preaching, but we want to share an experience. And I want to invite um, Roy Kim. He's a family therapist in, in Diamond Bar. Um, he has a podcast, which is uh, I'm seeing more and more popular, The Same Boat. <laughs> So uh, please uh, check him out on there. Uh, but uh, I want to invite him to come and, and kind of share his testimony about um, marriage and divorce. So if I can invite him right now, if you can give him a... Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, thank you to Living Hope for giving a uh, divorced and remarried person like myself, a voice in the church. Um, it's pretty rare uh, for divorcees to feel like they have a voice uh, in the church because, in fact, I think a lot of divorcees tend to leave the church. Um, so I'm glad to be here and to share a little bit about my experience. Um, the things I'll be sharing today are mostly descriptive and not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is um, there are sometimes... Um, things that we say that would ex uh, explain what happened, but not necessarily say this is what you should do as well, right? So uh, an example of that from scriptures would be someone like Abraham, who though he was father of faith, but he also made some uh, poor choices, such as polygamy, having multiple wives. Um, that is not prescriptive. Uh, you know, King David also was a man after God's own heart, but uh, he committed uh, pretty violent adultery. Um, and uh, he conspired to kill the husband of the woman that he was uh, having an affair with. And so those are examples of descriptive things, but not prescriptive things. So I just want to make that clear for each of you as I share my, my story. Um, I served as a pastor for eight years at a local church as an uh, immigrant 
church, uh, mostly Korean Americans, uh, or the ones that I was ministering to. And there came a time when my then wife um, betrayed me, uh, was, uh, was in adultery for a long period of time. And it was a very devastating, uh, dark time for me. And I'll be sharing a little bit about the whole experience of trying to decide if I were to kind of divide it up into three stages. The first stage would be the time when I was debating whether I should divorce or not. And then the second stage would be the, um, the six-month and one-day period in California where upon filing for divorce, you are kind of in limbo. You're not really divorced yet, but you're not really in relationship either. So you don't really know where you are. And then after getting divorced, um, there was a real up and down period of um, healing that needed to take place for myself. So I'll, I'll share briefly about each of those stages, just to kind of give you some context of what people may be going through in, in this church. So I told you that uh, my then wife, um, she had uh, confessed to me that uh, she loved another man. And I think what was particularly hurtful for me was that because I was a pastor and because I was you know, thinking that you know, I was doing the right thing, I was in God's word every week and trying to preach and try to pray for the congregation and take care of them and things like that, that this sort of thing could never happen to someone who did the right thing, who could, you know, and I was always like a good little boy as well too. I was too, too chicken to do bad stuff when I, was, when I was young. So, you know, here I was doing good things and it was a real transactional way of thinking where if I do good things, then bad things won't happen to me. That's, that's the, God would never do that. God would never allow that. So when I got the news that this actually was reality, nothing made sense to me anymore. God didn't make sense to me. Church didn't make sense to me. Doing good didn't make sense to me. Being a pastor didn't make sense. Nothing made sense. So um, as I was trying to figure out what this was, and I, I was thinking about, uh, this was my dream. You know, I know there's a lot of uh, younger people in this congregation and this, at the service hour. And um, I was one of those guys who, uh, I would be the one who liked the girl, but they would never like me back, you know? Uh, and let's say I even thought that I had a chance with someone, I would I'd be too chicken. Um, so I never really had a relationship until much later in life. And so, but that didn't mean that I didn't want to have a relationship. I really did want one. And when I met someone that I thought was just amazing, I thought, at last, you know, my dream has come true. And when this dream was now shattered, I felt, what's left? You know, what's left in life after this? And I thought that my life was over. I was dealing with the, the, the end of a dream. I was dealing with this whole thing about, you know, shouldn't good things happen to good people? And um, 
I had finals to contend with. I was in grad school at the time. Um, you know, I know that there are some people with like young kids to look after. I didn't have kids at the time. And I'm, I, just, I don't know how they deal with it. I don't know how single moms, single dads do it. Um, but um, I had post, post-traumatic uh, images in my head uh, at nighttime. I couldn't sleep. Um, I isolated myself because, you know, this sort of thing shouldn't happen to a pastor. You know, this sort of scandal shouldn't happen inside of a church. So I isolated myself. And all the, all the while, I was just thinking, as painful as it was, I think if she were to just say to me, I love you, and I never meant to hurt you, and I'm committed to you, and I will do everything within my power, to earn your trust back again, maybe I would have given it a shot. Maybe. I was filled with rage, and I can't really predict what I would have done or felt, but I'm just thinking in retrospect, if that were to happen, maybe. But because those things never happened, I had this weighty decision. Do I carry this marriage by myself indefinitely? Could she change her mind next week? Maybe. Maybe not. Next year? Maybe. Maybe not. Ten years from now? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe never. And I wasn't willing to carry that weight by myself. Was that the right decision or the wrong decision? I don't know. I know that scripture says that it is allowable. But for me, it really was about this thing that I felt like I just couldn't endure. And so I filed for divorce. And then came this bizarre limbo period of not really knowing what marital status I had. And I remember the day that we had to finalize the paperwork and we went to the courthouse separately and then met there. It was a very quick, painfully quick process because we didn't have a judge to kind of decide what, what we're going to do with properties and stuff, because we didn't have any property. And um, I remember embracing her one last time in the parking lot as I said goodbye. And it just all felt cheap. It felt like six years worth. Um, well, that was six years of marriage, but we had known each other for like another year or so before that. So all the hopes and the dreams that were stored up for that, and ending with one quick embrace in the parking lot and saying, I wish you well, it didn't feel right. It felt, um, cheap, you know. So, that's the last time that I saw her. That was 2010, 2009. And, I was now in this limbo period. I didn't know if people were, you know, if people were to ask me, you know, oh, are you married? I'm like, um, yes, you know, but am I really? Like, I don't, I wasn't really married. And um, I, I had to deal with a lot of weird things during that time. I had to cut off all social media. 
because all the things that people post are like happy things, right? Happy things about their kids, happy things about the family, vacation times, you know, happy birthday to my beloved wife, you know, all these kind of things. It's all great, except for people like me, right? Because people like me are just one percentage of the, of the population that's like, this is the worst thing ever. This is the worst post in the, in the whole history of mankind for me to be reading, right? So, because I wanted that, and it was stripped away from me violently. And so I had to cut off all social media. Um, I was so angry, all I could do was just, you know, go to the gym and listen to angry music. And then, um, you know, I, I numbed myself with, you know, several different, different vices that's probably uh, too rated R to talk about here. And uh, I had a, I had a, uh, a real violent streak in my own mind. I wanted payback. Um, I scared myself. I, I carried a golf club in my trunk just in case I would meet the other man. And um, it was weird. You know, you get to a point where you, I knew what his car looked like, and I even knew what his license plate was. And every time I go down the street or a parking lot and I see that make and model and the color of the car, everything, all my, you know, my nervous system just reacted. And I felt like, where is he, you know? And it got to the point where I, I needed to be safe for myself. So I had to move. I had to move away from Southern California because I didn't want to risk going to jail, um, maybe killing someone, maybe maiming someone, you know, in my, in my blind rage. So I had to be safe for myself. And that's what it was like for six months. No sleep, constant rage, avoiding people, my vices, and just exercising. And then I got divorced, um, officially. The six month and one day cooling off period ended and I was now officially divorced and that sucked, you know? And I made a new start up in the Bay Area and I distanced myself from God. I distanced myself from church. I distanced myself from a lot of Christians. There was only a few people that I really wanted to be in contact with, and these were the ones that I felt safe around. And I just remember um, thinking that when I, when I went to the church again, just to kind of visit, because I think there was, it was so habitual in me, again, being the good boy, right? of going to, going to church like a good, good boy, I went back to church, and I just remember thinking, where are the divorcees, you know? And I, I visited a primarily a Korean-American church, and there weren't any divorcees. And I felt like such a loner. I felt like such an outcast. The small group that I went to was a great small group, but it was like eight couples and me, you know? And here they were, they're, you know, they brought their kids, the kids are in their pajamas, they're watching like, you know, things on Netflix, and they're brushing the kids' teeth, and I'm just thinking, oh, gosh, like, this was stripped away from me, you know? And it just made me upset all the time. And um, I was thinking, if there were just at least one more divorcee in this small group, 
I could at least feel like I'm not going crazy, you know? But no, not even in my small group. I didn't know of any divorcee in any other small group in that church. And so it was really, really difficult. Um, I, um, I, I prematurely started to go into dating apps again, or not again, but for the first time. And one thing I debated was, do I lie about my divorce status? Because who's going to want to date a divorced guy, right? Definitely not a Korean person. <laughs> That's what I thought. And so, um, but I didn't. I didn't lie. I, I bit the bullet and I said, okay, I wrote down divorced and let the chips fall where they may. And yeah, there were a few dates and stuff, but it was a long, arduous journey of being back on a dating path again, too. And I wasn't in my, I wasn't in my right mind anyway. I, I should not have been dating at that time. Just a lot of replacement for all that pain in really unhealthy ways. And then came the one time where I encountered God, not through my will, but through his timing. And it was actually through art therapy that this happened. And as I was painting something, I came to this realization that the God that I was so angry at, the God that I felt was responsible for all of this pain, he was the one who was grieving probably more than I was about what had happened. He is a God who not only allows me to have free will, but allows my ex-wife to have free will too. If he allows her to do what she will do, then I've got to allow that because otherwise I got to say that I must accept that God can't allow me to do what I want to do as well. So when I realized that God was grieving, maybe even more so than I was, I finally had the sense that he was on my side and he wasn't powerless. He was doing things that was helpful for my healing as he was crying alongside of me. But he's not the one that would force things to happen uh, or to make time rewind or to force another person to change their mind about something or to have them repent to me. No, he doesn't force people to do that. And I had to accept that. And that's actually part of my part of my healing journey was to be able to accept that about his character. And so as I, as I close today's talk, you know, he allowed certain things to happen in the healing process beyond just that art therapy. Um, these are some of the biggest healing factors for me that might be very relevant to those of you who have divorced um, or for those of you who know someone who is divorced. Um, it was really, really important for me to have friends that I would consider safe, who wouldn't rush me into decisions that I wasn't ready for, but who could stand by me even when I was shaking my fist at God. That was a very... Um, that sort of safety creates healing that um, 
it really can't be replicated. It's, it's not theoretical, it's, it's so experiential to have friends who can be by your side during not just my hard time, but even being by my side as I was responding in a poor way. Um, counseling was really, really important for me. Um, understanding that uh, an encounter with God is very, very uh, impactful, maybe, maybe the most impactful, but at the same time, he has his own timeline. He, he's going to do things as he wills when he's ready. Um, for me to forgive my ex-wife, it's gigantic. I couldn't do it at first. I couldn't do it for years, actually. But there came a time where I was able to forgive her in my heart, truly, and to genuinely wish her well in her life. It's releasing. For those of us who cannot forgive, it's a real shackle, and I get it, because I know, I, I know that's, when you feel like it's impossible, and, and I felt like it was impossible too, but there does come a time when God will encounter that, and it is one of the most releasing experiences you can have, to be able to forgive the very one that shattered you and um, being in the company of other divorcees is really, really helpful. Um, I know that there's a lot of kids here today. I don't know how many of you have either um, you know, parents who have divorced or you have friends whose parents have divorced. There's a ministry called Divorce Care for Kids. And you know, my stepdaughter, she's, she's nine. And, um, you know, her parents divorced. And, uh, you know, you wonder what a, how a kid makes sense of that. And she always talks about how it's hard for her to make sense of, you know, her parents divorcing because, you know, she doesn't really have, like, a lot of other friends who are in her situation. And that's why a ministry like Divorce Care for Kids exists, so that kids whose parents have divorced, have other kids to talk to, where those kids get it. Uh, because she's so afraid of telling this to other kids who have no idea what she's talking about, and she's going to feel even more like a foreigner. So if I felt that way as an adult, how much more so a kid, right? So, you know, it's, it's a real valuable thing for kids and also for divorcees to be in the company of other divorcees to really share that experience and... For those of you who are not divorced and you know, who don't really know how to minister to someone, you could just start by saying, can you tell me your story? Because I think a lot of divorcees, they don't know whether it's safe or not to share their story. Just to be able to go to coffee and say, I'm willing to listen. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just, I just want to listen and understand and to be able to say, I'm so sorry for what you went through. You, you might provide one of the most healing experiences for any divorcee out there. So I pray that Living Hope would be a place that becomes a sanctuary for divorcees to heal at, uh, where it becomes actually famous for being a place for divorcees to heal at. And um, I'm optimistic that that will come true one day in God's will. Uh, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this church that allows real conversations to happen. We thank you for your great love for each one of us, no matter what our marital status, no matter our sin, 
no matter the decisions, whether they be biblical or unbiblical. We are so grateful that you are for us and not against us. And I pray for your covering upon this church and all the divorcees and all their kids that you would allow tremendous healing to be part of their redemptive story. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.